In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, amen is a Hebrew word which means truth. When we say it, we're saying yes, or so be it, or it shall be so, or this is most certainly true. That's what it means when we say it. It's a declaration of assent to whatever we just heard. Amen is said over hundreds of times in the Bible, and in amen is the very last word of the Bible. That is granting assent and agreement to everything that was written in the scriptures. And in fact, every single Sunday, we say amen together a minimum of 17 times in the service. We say amen to everything that God says, and we confess his word to be truth. And it's a public profession of faith that our heart truly believes and accepts and relies upon. It confides in what we just heard. Now, in the past, I've told you that this word, amen, is really the only word you need to be a good Lutheran. You simply need to learn to say amen to what God says. Well, the reverse is true. This means that the devil only has one goal in mind. And that is to get you to stop saying amen to his word, to what you hear. The word amen is a fruit of faith. So if he can silence your mouth from saying amen, then he has killed then your faith. First Peter 5, 8 says, your adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil wants to devour and destroy you. In John 8, Jesus says this, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here Jesus is plainly saying that the devil wants to murder you and the way he murders and destroys you is by means of lying. It's through lies. Now, the the devil doesn't do this all at once. He does this steadily, slowly and gradually in a series of attacks. He chips away at your faith, doubt after doubt, leading you then to unbelief. Uh, You think about the devil's first attack on man, on Adam and Eve. He begins by simply asking a question, which is very obvious. He says, did God actually say uh, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then he moves from that to from a question to an assertion where they say, yes, we shouldn't uh, eat of that tree or else we'll die. And then the devil just contradicts the word and then says, no, you will not die. And then he moves on to giving a reason why that's not true, why that's true and why it's uh, true that God is lying here. And he says, because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the explanation he gives at the very end is that God is the bad guy. He is the one who is lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. So rather than them simply saying, did did God actually say when the devil asked, did God actually say this? Eve should have said, yes, he did. And it would have been over. But she entertained it. The question and then she heard his, uh, the, the devil's accusation and lie. Now, that's how the devil attacks. He attacks your faith in the minor things in the scriptures. And then he attacks your faith in the major things. 
He knows if he knows that, that if he can take away your amen to some of God's word, then he can take away your amen to all of it. He attacks your confidence in God's word by tempting you to doubt that God truly created this world the way he said in six days. To doubt the history of God's word. To doubt the reliability of the scriptures. To doubt the definition of sin, of marriage, of male, of female, the roles of men and women in the home and in the church and so on. And this is because if he can get you to reject these things in the Bible that seem minor and insignificant, then soon you will reject the forgiveness of sins, which is in Christ. Like I said, the devil doesn't rip faith out of your heart all at once. The, the faith never dies. It never dies with a bang. It never dies overnight. Faith never dies in a moment. Uh, faith dies like a, a candle that's extinguishing. And it happens slowly over time. And it grows weaker and weaker and smaller over the months until it dies. When, when people say, I'm not a Christian anymore, or I don't believe, or they just get up and leave the church, that is not the moment they stopped believing. That's not the moment they were plagued by doubt and unbelief. Their faith was dying and in fact dead even before that moment. That's not when faith died. That's when they realized their faith had died. People don't just wake up and say, look, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm done with it. That doesn't happen. They stop coming to church because they skip one Sunday, which then turns into two. And then a few Sundays turn into a month. And then a month turns into twice a year on Christmas and Easter and then nothing. People also, they don't just hear one argument against the existence of God and say, ha, that's a good argument. Therefore, God doesn't exist. I believe it. That's not how faith dies. Faith dies by entertaining the lies, considering false doctrine to be harmless thinking of false doctrine as if it's just a different opinion or downplaying the differences and so on and so forth. False doctrine, simply put, if we define it, is lies about God. The devil is the father of lies, but he delivers these lies to you by means of his messengers. And the people who say these things are called false prophets. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. All right. These are the words of Jesus. And what he's saying here is this. that This means that there are pastors and preachers and theologians out there right now in the world right now who appear to be Christians, who look and dress the part who are kind and loving and charismatic, but inwardly they are wolves. They view you not as a child of God who needs repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They view you as food. They view you as a means to an end, a way to get money or fame or status and power. They don't care about you. They don't care about God. They care about their stomach their appetite. Jesus is saying there are pastors, there are people who appear and look holy and sound holy, and yet inwardly they are wolves. 
Now, the problem is that you can't just look at a person and tell if they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Your eyes can't distinguish between good and bad pastors. So if you look at numerical success in the church or finances or kindness or church growth or charisma and so on, these sort of things are not indicators of a true or a false prophet. Second Corinthians 11 says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Which means there are charismatic and charming pastors who are faithful to God's word. And there are charismatic and charming pastors who are wolves in sheep's clothing who will devour you. Which means charisma and charm count for nothing. There are some amazing faithful pastors who are grumpy and mean. And there are false prophets who are happy and kind. And vice versa. So grumpiness and happiness and kindness count for nothing. Good pastors can look good and good pastors can look bad. And so can false prophets. They can appear good and they can appear to be bad. So looks count for nothing again. This is why you can't rely upon what you see or how a pastor or someone makes you feel. This is why it's so incredibly stupid to go to a church because of the pastor's personality or his youthfulness, his age, his charisma or his energy. This is foolish. It's a bad idea. That's a bad reason to go to a church. You should never choose a church based on the person of the pastor or what he's like. In fact, uh, I would always recommend to you to take a grumpy, faithful pastor over a happy heretic every single time. How can you then tell if the pastor, even in front of you right now, is a true or false prophet? You can't do it with your eyes or your feelings. You can only do it with your ears. You have to listen to what he says, what comes out of his mouth. That is the only way you can tell. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. Usually when Jesus says fruits, he's talking about works or success or the outcome of something. But in this instance, in this text, the fruits here uh, describes and refers to teaching. What is the fruit of a teacher? His teaching. What is the, the, the fruit of a pastor? His preaching. And then Jesus goes on to say, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit and so on. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Later, he says that false prophets preach in the name of the Lord, but they're not from the Lord. He then says that they'll, they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So if that's where they're headed, then don't follow them. Romans 16, 17 says, Beware of those who cause divisions, create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Uh, I want to just make a footnote here. I want to say one more thing about this. The reason that false prophets deceive so many people isn't because they lie all the time. Uh, you're not going to find a false prophet who is only spewing out lies. 
continually and only. The reason false prophets are so deceptive and tricky isn't because they lie all of the time, but it's because they lie some of the time. And you have to know when they are lying and when they're telling the truth. They mix truth and error together. That is much more toxic and dangerous than a flat-out lie. They preach half-truths, which are wildly more dangerous than a whole lie. They mix truth and error. They tolerate error. And people who don't know the truth are then duped into it. They listen to anybody who speaks in the name of God without discerning what they're saying. Now, every year when I preach this text, people will ask me, yes, I have to listen. I get it, Pastor. Uh, But what am I listening for? How can I know what is true and what is not true? How can I tell when he's telling the truth and when he's lying? At what point can can I discern that? Well, Jesus himself says, if you remain in my word, you'll know the truth. Again, Jesus prays to the Father and says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what do you need? You need the word. You need the truth. And the only way to tell the difference by, is by hearing what the pastor says and judging what he says against the scriptures. This means to know who is and isn't a false prophet. It requires you to know what the Bible says. And there's no shortcut, in fact. You simply have to open the Bible and read it. You have to pay attention to the word of God while you have it. And the excuse that you don't have enough time is not true. People look at the Bible and they see this big book with thousands of pages and they become intimidated and say, I don't have time to read all of that. I can't read that. There's no way I can do this. That is bogus. That's not true. Americans spend an average of two hours and three minutes on social media every day. Americans spend an average of four hours watching videos or TV every day. That's six hours looking at a screen on average. And yet, if you only spent 12 minutes a day reading the Bible, you would read through the entire Bible in one year. If you spent 25 minutes a day, you'd finish it in six months. At that pace, you could read the Bible twice a year in less than 30 minutes a day. Nowadays, you don't even have to read it. You can just download it, download it on your phone and listen to 30 minutes a day while you're cleaning or doing work or whatever. And yet, most people won't even do that. It's become easier to hear the word of God, and yet we listen to it less. It's, it's, it's not true that you don't have time. It's also not true that the Bible is too hard to understand. The words in the Bible are clear. And the more you read it, the clearer it becomes. As a pastor, God has called me to, t- to, to, to read the Bible in depth and to tell you what it says. I know that people will get upset and annoyed with me and other pastors when we tell you what God says about your sins, about your life, your behaviors in life, what you're saying. People get upset when we point out false and weak teachings in hymns and books and movies and even in other Lutheran churches. People get upset at that. But what are we supposed to do? Ignore it or not say anything? 
Why? To, to not offend people? That is a sin. God tells pastors not only to preach the truth, but also to condemn error, to condemn false doctrine. Uh, Titus 1 says that a pastor must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Pastors, it is a, a, the duty, the job of the pastor to condemn false teaching, to point it out and say, avoid, mark and avoid what this person is saying. That's not what the scriptures say. When somebody says this to, to say, avoid this person, don't listen to them. That is false doctrine. I know that doing this hurts people's feelings. I know that condemning feminism and communism and homosexuality and cohabitation and divorce and open communion and women pastors and lectors, pet blessings, contemporary worship and the like from the pulpit will offend people and make them mad. I know this. I'm well aware of it. But I'm way more concerned about offending God than I am offending people. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become pastors, my brothers, because you know that we who preach will be judged with greater strictness. God will judge all pastors for everything they preach in the name of God. By the way, good intentions or meaning well does not factor into God's judgment here. God doesn't judge a pastor by what he intends or what he means, but by what he says. It doesn't matter if a pastor means well and he wants to do good. It matters what is he saying. The mark of a good pastor is one who is faithful to the word, one who is saying what the word says. Now, I know this has been a, a heavy sermon, and it's supposed to be because it's a warning. I found that this Sunday is always the line in the sand for people who are considering joining the church. I've seen people who are interested in becoming members who agree with everything that has been said from January until now. But then when we get to the eighth Sunday of Trinity, they say, that's too far. That's, that's too much. I don't like your view on false doctrine. You're too rigid and strict on false doctrine. Uh, maybe it's just a matter of opinions. It's not. Where, do, where does false doctrine come from? It comes from hell. It comes from the devil who is the father of lies. What Jesus says about false doctrine separates those who will remain steadfast in the faith from those who won't. So if you think we should tolerate false doctrine or consider it as a minor thing, uh, very soon you will be swept away in false doctrine. You should then hate false doctrine more than you hate anything else in this world. And you should run away from and avoid false teachers and you should be zealous for the truth. Now, I, I want to close this sermon by making a point I've made in years past. <clears throat> that even though this is a heavy text and a very heavy warning, I don't want it to drive you to fear. I want it to awaken you and strengthen you. I want you to read your Bible more, to be aware of false prophets and know this warning. Because in this warning, though, there is a comfort that is implicit. And the comfort is this. The fact that Jesus cares so much about what you hear and believe is because that when it comes to your salvation, it matters not how you have lived 
but only what you believe. It doesn't matter how much or little you have sinned or how great and small your sins may be or how many troubles and regrets you have in this life. When it comes to your salvation, the only thing that matters is not what you have done, but only what you have heard God do for you. What God cares about most is that you've heard his word, his voice that forgives your sins and wipes them all away through his blood, that you shouldn't rely upon yourself or your merits for any second in this life, but only upon his holy and precious wounds. The reason Jesus is so stern about doctrine is because doctrine saves you. And the devil knows that, which is why he's trying to take it away from you. Doctrine is how God declares and delivers his forgiveness to you. Dear saints, whenever God speaks, whatever he says, even when he condemns your sins, you bow your head and you say, Amen. I am poor. I am miserable. I am a sinner who deserves temporal and eternal punishment. Amen. And when God speaks again and wipes away your sin through the blood of his son, then you bow your head once more and you give a firm and confident amen, knowing that God cannot lie. That when he says your sins are forgiven, they are. No matter how you feel, no matter what your heart tells you, your heart is lying to you. God's word is true. It is truer than your heart. When the Bible says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, you don't question it. You don't uh, wonder about it. You hear the word and you simply give your amen because God said it. When you approach the altar today and when I give you the very body and blood of Christ into your mouth and say, take and eat. This is the body and blood of Christ given for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Then you say in that moment, amen to those words. You apprehend it through faith in your heart, knowing that heaven and earth and even you will pass away, but this word will not. And when the day comes that you gasp for your final breath of air, I pray that God grant me to stand there with you and say this last time, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And then you will then in that moment give your final amen as you watch God's word do everything he promised it would do. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. Increase my faith, dear Savior, for Satan seeks by night and day to rob me of this treasure and take my hope of bliss away. But Lord, with you beside me, I shall, not, I shall not be undismayed. And led by your good spirit, I shall be unafraid. Abide with me, O Savior, a firmer faith bestow. Then I shall bid defiance to every evil fall. In faith, Lord, let me serve you. Through, though persecution, grief, and pain should seek to overwhelm me, let me a steadfast trust remain. And then at my departure, Lord, take me home to you, your riches to inherit as all you said holds true. In life and death, Lord, keep me until your heaven I gain, where I shall by your great mercy the end of faith attain. 
The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.